I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have my brother Michael on as we talk football. We talk about the divisional round of the playoffs. And although it wasn't a great weekend of football in terms of drama, except for maybe the Eagles-Saints game, there was still a lot of interesting things that ended up happening. So we talk about what went right and wrong for the divisional matchups and the teams um, that played this weekend. And then we also preview the AFC and NFC championship games. So we talk about the Patriots and the Chiefs, and we also talk about the Saints and the Rams, and we also give our predictions. So both me and Michael are tied going into championship weekend. We're both 6-2 and two with our predictions for the playoffs. So... We are very excited to watch these games this weekend and then find out our Super Bowl teams. So we're super excited and um, thanks for listening. And if you guys haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe, uh, like the podcast, rate the podcast on iTunes, and let's just give my brother a call. Hello. Hey, Mike. Thanks for coming back on the podcast this week. Uh, exciting weekend of games. Uh, divisional rounds always probably one of the best weekends of football. Um, and just the fact that all these games, probably the top eight teams in the league are playing um, is just an exciting time, especially all the, the top four teams coming off of bye week to see how they react coming off buys. It's really fun to watch and see how those teams play. So thanks for coming on again, Mike. Yeah, of course. I mean, a great week of football. Um, it's almost it's almost at the finish line. It's It's almost sad to see everything come to a close. But, you know, we still have a few more weeks of football. So uh, excited for that. Yeah, and I think a lot, if we look at the score lines for each game, people wouldn't say it was that exciting in terms of uh, the drama aspect, except for that maybe New Orleans and Philadelphia matchup because that Kansas City game was a blowout. The LA Rams game, although it ended up being one possession, that was pretty much in hand. Um probably with like five minutes left in the quarter. The New England game against the Chargers, that was a complete blowout in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought a lot of the matchups slash the strategy and the uh, tactical stuff that went on was far more interesting if you watched it a lot clo- a lot more closely. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting because I always had this conception that the AFC was a lot closer in terms of um, where the teams were at. So not a huge gap between Colts and Chiefs, not a huge gap between like Patriots and Chargers. Um, But in the AFC, it seems like there's a huge, I mean, at least discrepancy here um, in talent levels, like the Chiefs and Patriots taking care of business. And at the same time, you know, you, you thought the NFC, like, you know, the Saints and Rams would be at a, another level. And, you know, although they got the win, it, it was relatively close. Right. And, I mean, if you look across all four games this past weekend, the home team ended up winning. And all the tops, all the – it pretty much went chalk. First two seeds in each conference ended up advancing. So, in terms of – that wild card weekend when we're kind of cautioning our listeners to, to, I guess, heed some of their expectations for the wild card uh, teams that ended up advancing like the Colts, um, like the Chargers, like the, like the Eagles. It seemed like they, all those teams were put in their place by all the teams that were coming off buys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely not a week for the momentum team, um, a week for the favorites here. Right, exactly. So 
I think the first game that I did want to start off with was just kind of let's try to I guess let's go in order from that first game on Saturday um, between Indianapolis and Kansas City. I was completely wrong about this game. Um, It didn't seem like Andrew Luck had had it. And I I mean, this was my only loss for the weekend, I believe. Um, We both went three and one this week again, didn't we? Yeah, we we both went three and one. I think one each of us wanted to believe in at least one upset pick here, but we both got it completely wrong on the ones we got wrong. Like you got exactly. the Chiefs wrong. I I thought the Chargers were gonna blow the Patriots out, but that was completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. So we'll get to that that game later, but let's talk about the Colts uh, Chiefs game. Um, and in this game, it just seemed like the Colts ended up losing grip of the game and losing its handle on the game in terms of they had their opportunities, I thought, but they just kind of let those opportunities slip from their hand. Yeah, I mean, with the Colts here, you know, Andrew Luck wasn't getting, getting exactly the greatest protection um, like we've seen, like, you know, typically a sort of stat line would be zero sacks, right? But, you know, to have three sacks for him, um, it seems like, you know, there was definitely some pressure on him. And 19 for 36, right, that's that's just not going to cut it at Arrowhead uh, when you're the away team. Yeah, and I think, I think what kind of took them out of that uh, rhythm and game flow that was working in the previous week against Houston was they weren't able to establish that run game just because they fell behind so quickly against that Chiefs offense and they were down fourteen mm-hmm. zero in the first half so they weren't able to establish Marlon Mack um, in the run game he only had nine carries for forty six yards which yep. isn't enough touches for the the way he's played over the past month or so in the season. And that was the one area I thought that Colts really could have taken advantage of the Chiefs defense in terms of their run defense because pass rush wise they they I think I think we mentioned this stat last week. They were tied for the league lead in sacks. So mm-hmm. it, it was exciting Expected that they were going to be able to get some type of pressure on Luck. We weren't sure if they were going to get sacks on him, but some type of pressure. But it seemed like they were they would be able to take advantage of that run defense. But because of how the game ended up turning out with Kansas City and their offense coming out to a 14-point lead, the Colts just weren't able to establish that run game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, we talked about this last week, the fact that this game could get – it was exactly the type of game script that could not happen for the Indianapolis. And, you know, they already didn't have the greatest shot uh, to win here. But, you know, they needed to establish that run game, not really try and play from behind. And that's exactly what happened. Like, they just couldn't get Marlon Mack going. Um, they couldn't at least control the clock. What we sort of knew about this Chiefs, team is true like they they could just get out in front right they could put up points and just make it a shootout right they don't claim to have the best defense even though they play quite well against Colts but um, you know they could they could just be explosive score a ton of points and then just make it a shootout right so that it's tough to sort of establish any kind of rushing game and I think what weird what was weirdly important about this game was actually the weather because it was snowing, it was like crazy weather and this Indianapolis team plays in dome and I think that actually affected luck and the passing game a lot more than I expected and that had I think that was one of the X factors in the game in terms of maybe changing some of the game scripts for Indianapolis because they just were not able to get anything going. And maybe Luck's shoulder was a little off, but it didn't seem like he had that same zip on his throws. Yeah, I, I'm i not I'm not really sure what was, I mean, wrong with Andrew Luck this game. But, I mean, he, he was playing with so much momentum, you know, coming into the game. And, you know, he had a pretty solid game overall right? One touchdown, zero interceptions. Um, you know, the completion rate wasn't fantastic. 
but it, it's really tough to say what, you know, what exactly drove Andrew Luck to maybe not play to his best performance here. Yeah, and I, I mean, if you, I think if you watch the game, I think you can agree agree with me here was that the Chiefs' defense really impressed me, and they they deserve some of that credit as well in terms of being able to play man to man on those wide receivers and be able to take away Ebron, take away T. Y. Hilton, and most of the damage that Luck ended up doing was at the end of that first half when during garbage time basically driving in the last two minutes of the first half when they're down, I believe it was 20, 24 to seven and Adam Vinatieri and uncharacteristically mm-hmm. ended up missing that 23 yard uh, field goal. A la Cody Parkey hitting that upright. It just, it, it just wasn't in the cards for the Colts in terms of, just the way it was going. Vinatieri usually doesn't miss those field goals. I think that was the shortest field goal miss of his entire career. He ended up missing and yeah. he ended up missing an extra point later in the game. So he just didn't have the right the right type of stuff going. And along with that, it just didn't seem like the Colts could ever capitalize on their opportunities. For example, the Colts ended up um ended up making um, a really crucial turnover in the third quarter where they ended up having the ball at the Chiefs' 20-yard line. They could have made it a one-possession game, and then two plays later, Luck ends up getting sacked and and then fumbles the ball and then turnover to the Chiefs, and that's pretty much when the game was over. So it just seemed like the Colts can never get anything really going to – seriously troubled the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, over, I mean, out of all the games from this week, uh, I mean, this, this one was probably my least favorite one. Yeah, it was not a great game to watch. I mean, I was definitely like, come on, something happened. Like, Andrew Luck drive them down the field. It just never ended up happening. And Damian Williams actually really impressed me. He he had 25 carries yeah. for 129 yards and a touchdown. I really thought that that scenario would have been flipped in terms of Marlon Mack getting more more of a workload with the Colts. But just because of the game flow, that wasn't, that wasn't to be – and I'm really interested to see how this Chiefs team ends up performing in um, in that champ- AFC Championship next week against the New England Patriots. Yeah, we think about this all the time. We're like, oh, man, just these running backs could just come in here and do 25 carries and average like you know five and a half yards or you know like 5.2 yards, right? It, it's it's pretty amazing that even after losing Kareem Hunt. Right, like Damien Williams, just you know, plug and play here. But yeah, I'm excited for next week. Um, I think, and we'll, and we'll make our can't. predictions later. We gotta, we gotta keep our predictions a secret for now. But yep. we'll unveil them later, and we'll see how we do for next week. But I guess we can move on to that Dallas, um, Dallas Rams game. Um, the Rams ended up coming up, coming up on top, thirty to twenty-two over Dallas and even though it was a one possession game to to at the end of the score line the Rams were up by two possessions pretty much um for most of the game and then Dallas kind of made it close to close the gap towards the end of the game but Dallas's uh defense this vaunted defense that kind of the renewed confidence that a lot of Dallas fans were having in the, on this defense just got shredded by C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley on the ground. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> overall here, for me, the Rams, the Rams weren't as impressive as I thought, right? Like, even though, even though they were relatively comfortable with the game, um, like, Jared, something about Jared Goff doesn't really look completely on yet right and you know Todd Gurley thank god they had him he looked he looked he looked good but you know CJ Anderson had 23 carries here as well 
So they are starting to factor him in. Um, I'm just not sure how healthy Gurley is and whether he could handle the full workload yet. But, you know, if I was the Rams, um, I'd be a little bit worried about Jared Goff. But overall, you know, like you were saying, Dallas Cowboys defense, um, you know, it, it had a tough time against the Rams here. They let up 30 points. I mean, obviously not the worst performance we've seen um, from a defense going against the Rams here. Um, Dak Prescott, you know, he actually impressed me. He played relatively well in the game. Um, you know, Zeke couldn't get much going. But, I mean, overall, like, it, it was a win for the Rams, but not a particularly impressive one, in my opinion. That's. I think it's kind of interesting that you said that. I thought, like, even if Gurley's not he- completely healthy, he still yep. ran for 115 yards and a touchdown. And then the fact that C.J. Anderson was able to provide them 123 yards for two touchdowns, maybe that was part of the game plan against this Dallas team. But this Dallas team had a relatively good run defense, so it was surprising that this Rams team was able to run on run on them like they did. And I was pretty surprised by that. I think the X factor for the next game against the Saints is obviously going to be Jared Goff if he's going to be able to make key throws on third down um, and be able to hopefully keep this Rams team out of third and long situations so it doesn't force the ball into his hands and it and hopefully it's third and two, third and three so that they can hand it off to Gurley or C.J. Anderson so they can kind of take care um of that aspect of things. But mm-hmm. I thought it I thought it was really impressive that the way the Rams were able to really key on um Ezekiel Elliott in terms of stopping the run. He had twenty carries for forty seven yards. So it's not like he had an impressive day at all. It was basically two and a half yards per carry or less than that. So it's not like it's not like the Cowboys had a great day on the on the ground, which they probably needed to win this game. Yeah, agreed. I mean, you sort of knew what the Dallas Cowboys were going to try, like feed the ball to Zeke. Uh, but, I mean, the Rams could just stack the box. It, it was too obvious of a game plan, in my opinion. Mm, and I did what I did appreciate from both coaches was they did come out pretty aggressive in this game and they were able to make play calls on fourth down when it was like fourth and short and they were very willing to go for it even when when it was fourth and short on their side of the half are you are you praising uh jason garrett right now i know this is a a rarity for me but i don't i honestly don't think it was too much of his fault in terms of the reason why the cowboys lost this game but yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it. I don't know, but I wouldn't want to want to be stuck with him as my coach for the next five years, um, like they're thinking about extending his contract for however long it is. So I'm not exactly sure I'd want to commit to him long term. But for this particular game, I thought like the grand scheme of his head coaching decisions in terms of making aggressive play calls and things like that. I thought he did a pretty decent job at that. Yeah, he's a Princeton guy, Kev. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But, yeah, I mean, overall, I I think the more talented team won here. I'm not – you know, the Cowboys went on a run. They had a lot of help from, like, the rookies who were – you know, like, Leighton Van Der Esch and um, Amari Cooper. They made some good acquisitions this past year. So, I mean, it, it looks good for them trending for the future, right? But I, I just don't think that they have the talent to sort of be in the top four. Right? Yeah, I think if – and I think in the off season they need to improve some of the offensive weapons around Cooper and Zeke and Dak and kind of give Dak a little bit – a couple more options at wide receiver. Gallup is developing – but if they could get another tight end, uh, yep. a high-end tight end, that would be really great for them as well. And then really just continue to um, maybe develop another pass rusher alongside Demarcus Lawrence so that they're able to get a little bit more pressure. And then on the back end, hopefully they're able to get maybe a cornerback or two so that they co- can cover in that that aspect of things. The one thing that 
I, I mean, at the end of the game, Dallas still had an opportunity to make a stop at the end of the game and then give the ball back to to Dak and Zeke and maybe go on a two-minute drive at the end of the game. But that third and seven that Jared Goff ended up running for, for 11 yards at the end of the game on a bootleg, that, I mean, that iced the game. And if you can't stop Jared Goff on a bootleg third and seven, um, you don't deserve to win the game. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I mean, that that's what encapsulates the loss. And I mean, they just they they don't deserve to be in the top four. They just don't have the talent level, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, I think what we should do is transition to that patch Chargers game and kind of. Um, I mean, can I just say I was right about the patch? Yeah, I mean, this was one that I. It, I and it pains me to say that. It pains me to say it, but I was I was completely correct about the Pats, and you were completely wrong about the Chargers. Yeah, this wasn't even a game, right? By by the end of the second, by the end of the second, you know, quarter, it was it was just a it was, it was just a mess. I mean, I I went, I pushed all my chips into the Chargers, right? I remember last week talking about how the Chargers were. You know, going to make it a blowout. I don't even think it's going to be close. And, you know, I just have to eat my words here. I mean, 3-1 and one for this week, this was one I was off on. But, man, was I completely off on this on this game. I, I'm i surprised. I really thought the Chargers and their athleticism and, you know, their just talent level would be able to overwhelm the Patriots. But, you know, you give Belichick, you know, that that extra week of planning – Right, just to make sure that you know everyone knows their role, everyone knows their job, and, and the Chargers were just a mess. Like I don't even know what they were doing. They put no pressure on Tom Brady throughout the game, like zero sacks here. Right, they they rushed with four men like every single time. I just could not understand, you know, what the defensive game plan was here. Right, like I, I just could not understand how. They were not even trying to get pressure on on Tom Brady, right? Yeah, and I think with us being Jets fans, we we strangely know how to play Brady. If you have the tools to be able to play Brady, you what you really want to do is you got to kind of gamble and play man to man against mm-hmm. those wide receivers and not allow him to pick you apart when you're in a zone defense. And if you are going to play zone, you have to send bodies from exotic places meaning you have to make up exotic blitzes and kind of do overload blitzes or or kind of have all these guys kind um standing up uh walking around pre-snap and then be able to send different guys from different areas at different times because you really need to have Brady thinking and I I mean I have a couple stats here that we were talking about that seven-man defensive back um, system that the Chargers were employing against the Ravens last weekend and how effective that was. And everyone in the sports media world was like, wow, Gus Bradley's a genius for being able to employ that as their defensive coordinator. And it just did not work this week. And Mm -hmm. the Pats were able to generate – nine yard 8.95 yards per play on 22 snaps out of a two running back two wide receiver one tight end personnel and then for the game Bradley Gus Bradley who's the defensive coordinator of the Chargers was using seven DBs 42 times and six DBs 20 plays out of the 78 snaps so they played 62 snaps in six or seven DBs, and you're not going to be able to do that against the Pats, especially if they saw film on that last week. I just didn't think it was an effective game plan for them. And then when they were playing with those seven guys, they were playing in zone. So whenever Brady came to the line and saw the, saw the personnel, he checks into a run play and then hands it off to Sony Michelle, and they go for six yards on first down. Yeah, I mean... 
Yeah, I, it made no sense that they they went seven six back, like played zone defense. Like Tom Brady just really shredded them, right? He's thirty four forty four, right? Only one touchdown, but three hundred forty yards. You know, did not look like he was sweating at all. Like no no sacks, no absolutely sacks. absolutely zero pressure from, um, you know, Melvin Ingram. It, Joey Bosa, like it, it was pretty, pretty astonishing here. And Julian Edelman, man, that that guy looked like he caught everything. Right? Yeah. He, he played a phenomenal game. Um, James White also played a phenomenal game. Gronkowski, I mean, only one catch for 25 yards, but it seems like he was at least a decoy and opened things up for Edelman. Right, but I mean, when you're playing zone defense, like Tom Brady's going to find someone. Right, it's only a matter of time. And I think that's what frustrated me because if you look back at all the tape in terms of what Brady struggled with in the playoffs, and we could kind of look to those uh, those games that he played against the Jets, you know, ten years ago, close to ten years ago now, and those in those AFC playoff games where Sanchez ended up going into. Um, New England ended up beating beating the Patriots. Those defenses were super aggressive against Brady and kind of was walking this fine line of taking risks and, and being able to blitz Brady and put pressure on him, but then also at the same time be able to play man-to-man and mix up zone, zone coverages in behind some exotic blitzes. And I think that's where these teams need to get creative if they're not able to get pressure out of one elite pa- uh, pass rusher. And you kind of would have thought with the Chargers. Melvin Ingram. Yeah, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, especially with the games they had last weekend against um, a Baltimore Ravens team that so heavily featured the run with Lamar Jackson being a super mobile quarterback and them sacking him seven times you would have figured they would have been able to get pressure um, off of Brady. But Brady does such a great job. And this is partly Brady and scheme in that he's able to get rid of the football so quickly and out of his hands. I think average time that he got the ball out of his hands was 2.3 seconds, uh, yeah. which is extremely quick. And all he would do was it was it was like pretty dink and dunk pretty short, short looking passes. And then whenever they would do play action, it would kind of go over the top of that zone in between the, uh, those linebackers and, and those safeties in the middle of the field to Julian Edelman. And then he would check it down to James White. So it was just like a perfect game plan uh, by the Patriots. And Sony Michelle ended up tearing, tearing that Chargers defense apart when they were in seven defensive back uh, personnel. Yeah, and I mean, let's talk a little bit about the fallen Chargers here. This was a team that I was extremely high up on through uh, throughout the season. Philip Rivers, I thought, was like a dark horse MVP candidate. I thought Melvin Gordon was phenomenal on my fantasy football team, but you know, had a little, had a huge dud actually today, or um, you know, this past weekend. But I, I, I mean, the Chargers here, right? Does this team get any better? Right, like they have, they have everything they need, but they just can't seem to ever put it together. Right, they have the offensive weapons, like they have Keenan Allen, he's a slot receiver, he's like that dynamic playmaker for them. Um, Tyrell and Mike Williams, right, those are like your huge, you know, big play kind of threats here. Right, it's just like you know they even have like someone like Austin Eckler, who's you know was able to play at a relatively high level uh, when he had to play as a starter, and he's that change of pace back. right? So they have all these offensive weapons, but even when you look at the defense, right, they have Derwin James, probably the uh, you know, defensive rookie of the year, and then some relative, like, in my opinion, one of the best top two pass rushes in the NFL, right, with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. So I I think in terms of talent, like this team is one of the most talented, but they just can't seem to put it together. Kev, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately it comes down to, I think, Philip Rivers. And he, it's not like he had a terrible game today, but a lot of the, okay. a, lot of, a lot of the work that he ended up doing was in garbage time. And mm. and when they were completely out of the game, and they were um, in that first quarter when when they needed to sustain drives to keep the New England Patriots offense off the field, they just weren't able to do that. And I think mm-hmm. that struggle was was probably the key to the game in terms of they really needed to play this ball possession, ball controlled offense to keep the ball out of Brady's hands. And I, they didn't utilize Melvin Gordon enough, obviously, because partly because of that game flow that we were talking about, where he had only nine carries for 15 yards. They were down 35-7 to seven at, uh, after the first half. It's not like they could have been pounding the rock that much anyway. But I think ultimately what ended up hurting them in this game, you mentioned all the talent in the the – first level of their defense in terms of their pass rushers and then on the back end, but then they don't have any, they didn't have that dynamic linebacker in there that was able to, I feel like make some plays in the run game and then make some um, plays in that zone defense that they really would have needed. They needed someone like, I think Denzel Perriman, who is their their middle linebacker that was injured and couldn't play for this game, he was sorely missed and he was really needed in this game to kind of be someone that could stop the run but then not take away too much out of their pass offense or pass defense. That's interesting. I mean, at the time, at the same time, like, I don't even think that one person um, – really would have helped the Chargers, uh, you know, even be close in this game. So I'm really not sure what the Chargers end up doing here next year. Um, I, yeah, I wonder how, how many years Philip Rivers ends up having left at this kind of high elite type of level. Right. No, I totally agree. And I, I think I, I thought they were matching up well against the Patriots as well. I, I, I'd rather have had them play the Patriots over the Chiefs, to be honest. But mm-hmm. it seems like it seems like I was just completely off the Chargers. And um, you know, it's just noted for next year. Yep. So we'll move on to the last game of the weekend. And I thought this game was probably the most exciting game of the weekend, just in mm-hmm. terms of the drama and how it kind of went to the end of the game. And it was it was an exciting game to watch to see whether or not Big Dick Nick could uh, come up with another win with all the magic that was surrounding him. Unfortunately, he was not able to do it. And it w- I mean that last drive at the end of the game, it it wasn't really his fault. Alshon Jeffrey ended up yep. dropping the ball, slipping right through his fingers, but. The, the Eagles ended up starting very hot to, uh, to begin this game. I mean, they ended up going up 14-0 very quickly. Drew Brees ended up throwing an interception when they tried to kind of go long on their first play. And the Eagles were really rolling 14-0. And I thought it was a really, really interesting um game in terms of how the momentum ended up shifting towards the Saints um, in the middle of that, in that second quarter going into the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely an exciting game here. Um, when the Eagles were up 14-0, I, I, I thought, I, I really did think that the Saints were in trouble, right? I, I mean, the Eagles looked very impressive. I, you know, the past few weeks, the Saints haven't been as dominant as you'd expect from a one seed. Like, they definitely had their holes, right? So, I thought the Eagles, Foles Magic, Big Big Nick, like, he was going to lead them to another victory. And then, honestly, we'd have a huge discussion about, you know, the Foles versus Wentz. But 
at the moment here, like the Saints were impressive in their resilience and I think experience, um, veteran leadership coming from Drew Brees, right? He def- he definitely like stepped up after making the interception, um, and you know played an overall you know quite good game. Right? What what was interesting for me was that you know even though the New Orleans defense for the rest of that game was very very impressive though after letting up 14 so i'm not sure if it was a calm nerves or or something but uh the saints defense definitely you know settled in to their um you know to, to to quite a strong role here right and and you know playmakers like marshawn Lattimore here like two interceptions um he's finally turning it on in the playoffs a little bit and, um, you know, recovering after a relatively, you know, not so great year. Right. And I think it was, I mean, I, if you even think about it, New Orleans kind of hasn't played a real meaningful game in about three weeks because they clinched their, they clinched the first seed uh, in week 16 Week mm-hmm. 17, they ended up resting a, a significant portion of their starters. They ended up having wild card weekend off, and then they had this week. So they had a, a decent amount of time off, and they were the one, I would say, top seed that ended up coming out of the gates a little slow and struggled a little bit to find their footing. And I think the game ended up changing. So Marshawn Lattimore ended up having that interception to give the ball back to Drew Brees and the offense when they're down 14-0. And I think what ended up changing that game was that fourth and one call that Sean Payton ended up making out of their punt uh out of their punt formation at their own 30-yard line and then Taysom Hill ends up getting the um getting the snap and then running it for four yards to convert and then keeping that drive alive. And they ended up scoring a touchdown um, at the end of that drive. But that was a really ballsy call Mm -hmm. by Sean Payton on fourth and one. And what really sucks for the Eagles was Peterson ended up declining a penalty offensive holding penalty call um, on that previous play to set up fourth and one, it could have been third and 11. Mm-hmm. So, or, so it would have been, so it, it's a really tough call in that situation. You really, obviously you want to get it to fourth down. Who would have ever thought Peyton makes that kind of play on their own 30 yard line down 14, zero, because if they end up going down 17, zero or three possessions, it's going to be a really hard time for the Saints to come back. And it was a really gutsy and ballsy call by Peyton to make that. Yeah. I to put all that trust in that Jason Hill. Like it was sort of a, yeah, extremely aggressive play calling right there. Right. Um, I mean, overall, we both got this game correct, but how sad are you to see, you know, big Dick Nick sort of, you know, end on this very tall run here. I know. I, I mean, I was rooting for him to to score that go-ahead touchdown at the end of the game. And it looked like he was actually going to pull it off, except Alshon Jeffrey ended up letting the ball slip through his hands. I mean, the ball was right on the money. Yep. Um, it maybe it seemed like watching the play over again, Jeffrey kind of lost his concentration maybe because he was expecting a hit and he was bracing for a hit. And before he was able to do that, he took his eyes off the ball and then uh, the ball went through his hands. So maybe there was some of that going on mentally in his head, but it seemed like it seemed like Nick Foles was leading that team down the field. They were driving, and I thought they were mm-hmm. going to score the touchdown to go ahead to win the game. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, huge critical play. I It's tough to... Yeah, Alshon Jeffrey played relatively well throughout the game, but it's it's definitely a tough mistake there. But yeah, I definitely believed in Foles in that last moment. It just it's it's sad to see the run end on such a uh, tough play. Yeah, and it seems like um, with Nick Foles, 
he's probably going to be moving on to another team. And it's going to be Peterson ended up coming out today and saying that Wentz uh, is, is their starter. He's their their quarterback for the um, for the foreseen future. It doesn't seem like there's a, any quarterback controversy at all. So it seems like Nick Foles played his last game in an Eagles jersey. And I mean, what a what two seasons. You know, I think he's brought so much excitement to that to that franchise, to that fan base, to the city of Philadelphia, and mm-hmm. he definitely will not be forgotten in the city of Philadelphia. He won't have to ever buy a drink over there ever again. But I did really want to pose this question heading into the off season for Nick Foles. Yep. What team would you say? could sign him and utilize him in the best way possible. Hmm. It's interesting. I think that the Jaguars would be an interesting play. I don't know if they have exactly the number of offensive weapons as the Eagles do, but I, I think it's a good fit, right? They need to move on from Bortles. I think that the sort of championship window, right? It's probably gone for the Jaguars, but I mean, maybe someone like Nick Foles could salvage something, right? It's not an incredibly tough division, in my opinion. Um, I, I think the Jaguars would be an interesting spot for Nick Foles here. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was thinking the exact same thing as well. I think the Jaguars could be an interesting fit. Maybe if, I mean, I think Washington's a possibility as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not exactly sure about the cap situation and that um, cap situation for Washington. Um, the other teams that I can really, the only other teams I can really think of are um, maybe Miami, Miami, the Miami Dolphins. Um, if they decide to move on from Tannehill, especially with, especially with all the maybe differences um, with, the coaching staff, um, a new coaching staff coming in with Miami, seeing if they want to just kind of wipe a clean slate and get rid of Tannehill and start over, start over again. So I could kind of see that, but I, my my immediate thought, thinking about where Nick Foles would go, was to the Jaguars um, for next season because they're one season removed from that AFC Championship game. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I think, yeah, I think the Jaguars make the most sense. I'm not even sure on their championship window at this point, but I do expect, um, I'd say probably the highest odds are, you know, Nick Foles for the Jaguars next year. Yeah. And I mean, ultimately in that Saints, the Saints-Eagles game, just to wrap it up, I think the Saints just made more critical and important plays. We didn't really even mention Michael Thomas, who had like, yep. a beast of a game. Um during that game, he he was the target that Drew Brees just constantly was looking out for, and he had 12 receptions for 171 yards, and he just could not be stopped. During one of their uh, drives, Drew Brees would Drew Brees connected with him on a third and 16 play, and if if the Eagles are going to win, they have to get off. Uh, on third down and if they're not able to get off on third and long like that then it's going to be really hard for a team like that to win agreed I mean overall not not the most impressive win either here for an NFC team but um, I think the Saints showed a lot of resilience here in you know coming back totally agree totally agree so Mike I think to move on to our predictions for championship weekend. It's, I, I think these are the best four teams in the league, and it's pretty obvious that they're the best four teams. I think they're top four seeds here. Yeah, I think they're the top four seeds. Uh, all four teams deserve it, deserve to be there. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious to get your thoughts on who you think is going to progress um, to the Super Bowl and get your predictions on both games. Yeah, I mean, we're both 6-2 and two in our predictions. 
for this final week, let's start off with the Rams and Saints. So, you know, this is going to be a tough matchup to call, but I I was not super impressed with either NFC team, actually. I think that both of them, you know, both of the, these teams had little runs throughout the regular season where they looked like the best team in the NFL. And I could, you know, fairly certainly say that I, I don't think either of these teams looks like the clear-cut best team in the NFL right now, right? I think for me, you know, between the Rams and the Saints, I, I think I'm going to go with the Saints here. Interesting. And, I mean, I mean, I agree with you. I think I'm going with the Saints here as well. Um I think the hard part for me is that Sheldon Rankins, who was their top defensive lineman, defensive tackle, their inside presence on the their D line, ended up going down with an injury. It doesn't seem like he'll be back for the season. And that's a huge, massive hole in that Saints run defense. And especially with the Rams coming off a, a game where they ran for a combined like 250 yards or so, mm-hmm. that's quite worrisome especially with Todd Gurley and that CJ Anderson one-two combo it seems that that can be a huge problem area for the Saints in terms of them stopping the run um totally agree what I really expect the Saints to do is really load up the box against that run against that run game put eight men in the box and just force Gary Goff to beat them yeah, yep. I mean, I could see that game plan occurring as well. I, yeah, I I just don't believe in Jared Goff, to be honest. I don't know if Jared Goff is going to be in his first Super Bowl just yet, right? Yeah, and I, I think yeah, and I think in this instance, you kind of I think that's what I ended up defaulting to. Were two factors was first of all, it's going to be in the Superdome, so it's at home for New Orleans. And they have an amazing, unbelievable record at the Superdome. And then Drew Brees is just – I would take Drew Brees over Jared Goff any day of the week at this yeah. point in their careers. Yeah, and I could see this game being a real – I mean, nothing groundbreaking here, but I, I really think this game is going to be a relatively close game. And if the game is on the line, I would trust Drew Brees to at least get me a field goal, whereas I'm not – I'm not certain like Jared Goff could drive me, you know, do like a two-minute drill to get a field goal or a touchdown, right? I think they're going to have to rely on this run run game quite a bit. And, you know, if it's close, I'm just not sure I trust Jared Goff to win the game. Right. And I think one of the keys to the matchup of this game is how Sean McVay is going to uh, a plan for those eight-man boxes. Um, and how creative he can get with his play calling, his play design, and whether or not he's able to create enough space horizontally so that he's able to create holes through the middle of the field for Todd Gurley and C.J. Anderson. So I I could definitely see um, McVay running a lot of sweeps, jet sweeps, things like that for Josh Reynolds, for Brandon Cooks on the outside, have them come in on end-arounds, take the ball and then give it to Gurley. I could definitely see him making a lot of those counters um, to counteract those, those eight man boxes. And then off of that play, play action um, so that they get really, really get those defenders to bite hard on the run game. Yeah. Hmm. So you also have the same tier, right, Jeff? I do also have the Saints here just because I believe the I just believe in the power of Drew Brees over um over Jared Goff. Basically that's like my baseline. If if like the teams are relatively close and that what I do is just basically look at which quarterback I trust the most and then I default to that. And what do you think about the three and a half line here? Um, the Saints. I think it's Pretty fair, honestly. I think on a neutral field, the Saints would still be favored um, against the Rams. So I think it's a relatively fair. Um, I'd probably still take the Saints if we're if we're t- talking about betting line as well. 
Yeah, I agree. I think three and a half seems fair as well. Okay, interesting. We'll see what happens for this NFC game. Um, I mean, the Saints, number one seed, you know, going against number two seed, the Rams, and, um, you know, the favorites winning here. So, moving on to the Patriots and Chiefs game, Kev. Definitely an interesting game. Um, I'm excited for both games here. But something about Patrick Mahomes makes the Chiefs here very, very exciting, even with Andy Reid coaching in the playoffs here. But, I mean, who do you have, Kev? I think this is this was the tougher game that I was wrestling with going back and forth and trying to um, decide who was going to win this game. And I was going back and forth. I looked up the weather. The weather, it's going to be freezing there, 15 degrees or whatever. It, what I think it's going to be. Shouldn't affect 15, either team, though. Yeah, 15 degrees. Shouldn't affect either team. Um the the one hang up I'm really having is Andy Reid versus the Bill Belichick effect, and I don't know how much trust I can put in Andy Reid in this huge playoff um, game in terms of whether or not the pressure gets to him. I think his overall record in champion like NFC or AFC championship games is one and four with him only advancing um, with the Eagles that one year when they ended up playing the Patriots um, in the Super Bowl. So it's not like he has a great record in this round of games, but he's with the Chiefs, so he's never been in this situation with them. And Patrick Mahomes seems unflappable with the way he's played uh, thus far this year, with the season he's had. It doesn't seem like that like the pressure is going to affect him that much either. With all that being said, and with my prediction of last week of the Patriots uh, losing to the Chiefs in this round, I think I might be going Brady and the Patriots this week. Oh, and, my God. And it, this makes me sound like a Patriots, Patriots fan, and it, it's just – I've seen the Patriots do this year after year against our our beloved but just sad Jets. It's it's just so disappointing to to just watch all of this happen. But I think I'm going with the Patriots. I think Brady just I think this game last week against the Chargers really convinced me that he still has it and he and he's saving it low for the playoffs. Right. He's saving it for the playoffs. Not and trying to get hit. Exactly. And ultimately, I think Belichick ends up scheming um, just enough to kind of edge it out against the Chiefs. And I think it's going to be a very close game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a very convincing argument there for the Patriots. I. Ah, man. I was definitely torn on this game as well. It's definitely a harder call. I think that for me, um, I'm going to go with the Chiefs actually. Right? It's 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 continuing on with the favorites here. Chiefs are favored by three points, um, and it's a little boring that we're seeing both of the number one seeds potentially go to the Super Bowl. But for me. It's similar to the Chargers. I really thought the Chargers were going to be more athletic and the Patriots weren't going to be able to keep up. But I think with a slightly shorter week where, you know, Belichick has less time to prepare. Um, and, and for me, like a home field advantage for the Chiefs, I, I'm i going to go, I'm going to believe in Andy Reid and uh, what Patrick Mahomes could do. Yeah, and I'm I'm really curious to see how Belichick ends up setting up his defense against that that Chiefs offense in terms of whether or not he's going to try to double up Tyree Kill or kind of how he ends up playing uh, Kel, uh, Travis Kelsey in in that in the middle of the field whether or not he goes with um, Devin McCourty on uh, Travis Kelsey or whether or not he ends up doubling up Tyree Kill. Um, to take away those two options to see if one 
Sammy Watkins or Chris Conley um, can beat the the Patriots. But I'm curious to see how Belichick sets up that defense and whether or not um, Brady's able to to keep up offensively against Mahomes. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I it's similar to the Chargers. I just thought they were so much more explosive. They have like the Mike Williams, Tyrell Williams, uh, Keenan Allen. And I thought that they were just going to be much more explosive uh, than the Patriots, but the Patriots just really handled business. For me, I think the Chiefs defense played relatively well last week against uh, Andrew Luck and the Colts. And, you know, if, if they could play at that level, get some pressure on Brady, like I, I – if they play seven back or six back, I, I'm going to lose my mind here. But for me, I think that the Chiefs have a very good chance if if their defense plays that well. Yeah, and I think, I mean, a couple things, couple couple other things before we wrap up is that this game is a repeat of uh, a game they ended up playing earlier in the year. Obviously, a bunch of different serve circumstances and a lot of things have changed but Patriots ended up winning a shootout 43 to 40 probably one of the most exciting games of the year um Mm -hmm. in that game at 43 to 40 but it was in Foxborough so Patriots don't have that advantage and the Patriots honestly have struggled away from home this year um they've looked quite mediocre yeah they've looked pretty mediocre away from home this year so that might be another factor. And Arrowhead gets extremely loud. So I wonder if that's going to disrupt some of the play calling between Brady and um, maybe his snap count, all that type of stuff. That's interesting. I I, I think the three and five away uh, is really fascinating because the Patriots were re- really dominant at home. I think they were undefeated for, um, you know, eight and no at home, mm-hmm. but, in to be three and five, it's definitely not a great sign for them um, as they travel here. So, I mean, overall, Kev, you have we have a one difference with the Patriots. I think what you're trying to do is reverse jinx them, right? All the, <laughs> all the Patriots I hope to God, up, I hope to God that had, ends up happening. Yeah. So all the Patriots fans are are trying to say, oh, we'll probably lose, expecting them to win. But I mean, all the Patriot haters like ourselves are gonna sort of say the Patriots are going to win, but be pleasantly surprised when they lose to the Chiefs. Yeah, so I am hoping that my prediction is wrong this week um, so that the Patriots end up losing. So I am definitely hoping that is the case for this week. So, Mike, in other NFL news, um, to kind of wrap up before we end this podcast, there's – there. Our, our quarter or our coach has been hired for the Jets. We talked about Adam Gaze. I, I'm not exactly sure if we talked about him last week, but th- we decided on the Jets decided on Adam Gaze. I'm basically putting my t- uh, myself on the uh, on the GM level in terms of us me calling the team we. But how do you feel about the Jets hiring Gaze? that the Jets ended up hiring Greg Williams as their D coordinator. What are your thoughts on all of that? Uh, I mean, I'm actually, I'm not, I'm not mad or sad about it. I'm not it's super excited about it, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. Right. I think that Adam Gase, he was on the short list. Uh, I mean, compared to some of the other options, I'm not sure that Mike McCarthy or, um, you know, uh, the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay. So Todd Munkin, like, I'm not sure if they really would have been a huge, you know, would have would have been that much better than someone like Ace, right? Right. And, I mean, the problem is there just wasn't – there wasn't a guy that I was in love with where if they didn't hire him, then I would have just been up in arms. Um, so – I'm not exactly optimistic about Gaze, but at the same time, I'm not like, oh my God, they made a horrible mistake. So this is pretty much the best that the Jets could have done. And I'm just hoping that Gaze kind of learned from his experience in Miami. 
there's all these memes going around during his presser the past couple of days about him having the crazy eyes. I don't know if you saw some of that, but uh, mm-hmm. during his press conference, he looked like he just, his eyes were just bulging out of his head. So it was, it was pretty funny looking at all those memes and things like that. Um, yeah, overall, I just, I just hope that the Jets can kind of cobble something together um, for next season and see whether or not they can take advantage of their uh, their cap situation and the $100 million they have in cap space. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, but one thing that I am pretty excited for with Gase is his development with um, Sam Darnold, right? You know, as he... You know, he, he, he managed to work well with a lot of quarterbacks. And if you look at the success of some of them, like uh, Peyton Manning, um, you know, Ryan Tannehill, he was able to get a lot of good results out of um, some quarterbacks. But I'm not sure how well he's going to fare with a relatively, you know, ground project, right, like Sam Darnold, where a lot of work and investment is going to be needed. Um, but I think that they will have a lot of money to spend to, you know, get the free agents they need, hopefully on some, maybe like a tight end offensive line. And, um, you know, we have the number three pick as well. So I'm expecting a lot of good things here uh, for next season. So hopefully we could sort of look forward to maybe a little playoff run here. Yep. And then one final story to close out the podcast what are your opinions on the um, Antonio Brown story with him demanding a trade? Um, it seems like Pittsburgh, um, the the owner of this, uh, the Steelers, uh, Mr. Rooney, seems like he is not optimistic that Antonio Brown will be on the roster to start the tra- start training camp um, this coming July. So. What are your thoughts on that situation and whether or not Antonio Brown uh, will be on a new team for next year? Yeah, I mean, it's looking like he's going to be on a new team next year. Uh, So far, it seems like it's going to be the 49ers. But, I, I mean, for me, like, it's interesting because I'm not sure the Steelers really can afford to lose another offensive playmaker like Antonio Brown and be able to compete for a Super Bowl next year. Right. Ben Roethlisberger's window is closing very, very quickly. If not, you know, they didn't even make the playoffs this year, right, with Antonio Brown. So I'm not sure next year um, if the Steelers are really going to be in contention. Yeah, and I, I think that if, if Antonio Brown ends up getting traded, then I think that might be the last time that Ben Roethlisberger has a legitimate shot at a Super Bowl Super Bowl run with the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's already won two Super Bowls, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like he had a bad career here, but yeah, I, I think that Juju, um, the other star receiver on the Patriots, uh, not the Patriots, sorry, the Steelers is a fantastic um, player, but I, I, I just I'm not sure that they're gonna they're not gonna be the offensive powerhouse um, that we know them to be, and I don't think that they're gonna be able to make the playoffs next year without Antonio Brown. Yep. So I, I think it was really interesting being able to see that. Um, um, he was it was pretty interesting how the same day that he was announced that he wanted a he was seeking a trade request or submitted a trade request. He ended up appearing on that sh- uh, new show, show called The Mass Singer, which is like a, a based off of a Korean show. So I found that hilarious that that ended up just kind of matching up and working out on the same day. So that's pretty much it for the podcast this week. Um, Mike, just be on the lookout and all our listeners be on the lookout for um soccer podcast talk about some of the results from this past weekend with Man U coming up with a huge win against Tottenham and then we'll also be talking about our half season awards uh for the NBA it's kind of with football winding down in the next 
couple of weeks or so, um, NBA talk is definitely going to be ramping up. So I'll be doing a podcast with Andrew Mondi uh, coming out on Friday talking about um, half-season awards in the NBA and talk about some storylines that are brewing um, in the NBA. So, Mike, thanks for coming back on to the podcast. I'm really excited about championship weekend uh, this weekend, and then we will know our Super Bowl teams by this Sunday. So that's an extremely, extremely exciting time. Um, And just be on the lookout for new podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes. So thanks a lot for listening guys and uh thanks again mike for coming on exciting stuff for this weekend um yeah always great to come on take care Kev. i got a girl with a mind on love the kind of love that is dangerous it knocks me down but i get back up And I'm addicted, I can't get enough